beginning in verse 12, we read, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Church, when I was 25 years old, I drove from Dallas to Eugene, Oregon, took out a year of graduate school, seminary, to go to Eugene, Oregon to work at a church to um, uh, train for the Olympic trials. And the first Sunday there, I met Gail Schaefer. And four or five weeks later, we began dating. And on our very first date, we went to see a new movie uh, just out called Rocky. That would be the first Rocky, <laughs> not the uh, last Rocky. And um, uh, little did we know that the title of that movie would be prophetic for our courtship, Rocky. But it was. Uh, we were both stubborn, strong-willed. I was just a little bit difficult to be in a relationship with. And um, we clashed a lot during that year. In fact, if I knew of a couple that clashed that much, I'd advise them, you know, just hold off a bit on that marriage. But a year later, we got married, moved to, moved to Dallas. And um, I was a full-time graduate student, a little bit of an overachiever, uh, full-time trying to run world-class marathons, struggling with mental disease, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and a little bit, uh, a lot, okay, a lot preoccupied. And, um, and it was difficult for Gail. And if it had been an option, she would have gladly left after that first year. But fortunately, before we started, before we got married, we had made the decision before a counselor and the firm decision ourselves that divorce not only would not be an option, but it would not even be in our vocabulary. That is, that during heated moments of argument, when sometimes you kind of want to throw out the D word to kind of hurt them, um, we had decided uh, we wouldn't use that as a threat. And so, because it wasn't an option, uh, we survived. And I would say that our first uh, 12, 13 years, though there were some good things. We were both committed to Christ. We both uh, committed to uh, working. Our dream was a great marriage, and we hadn't really got to a good marriage yet. But because of uh, some challenges we had, um, we clashed a fair bit, and it was overall a pretty rocky uh, start to our marriage. Thirteen years in, in the summer, uh, I had a crisis in ministry in which I really felt like a failure as a pastor. And we weren't sure what we were going to do. We were living in this area. We weren't sure if we were going to move back to Oregon or something, just start over or what. And we were advised to go see this man who could help pastors. It's John Brigner. And little did we know the influence that he would have on our life. Some of you know John. John was a very successful businessman who had become a lay counselor, volunteer counselor. Uh, by the way, we've got volunteer, trained volunteer counselors here, and it's a tremendous ministry. We began seeing John Brickner. Uh, we wouldn't have never started Wood's Edge unless uh, John had encouraged us to go forward with this. But more importantly, he quickly discerned our biggest challenge was not ministry but marriage. And he began pressing in, and we needed that. Uh, John was interesting. He had, 
highly successful businessman in the oil and gas industry, but yet he spoke of his wife uh, like they were newlyweds. And uh, he clearly, the focus of his life was not career business stuff, but it was making his wife happy. And watching John, talking with John, him pointing out some things, it really had an impact on me, but really had an impact on both of us. And so 13 years in, we had a watershed season in our marriage, and things began to change. And though certainly we don't have a perfect marriage, those don't exist here on this earth, but it's made such a difference. In fact, John, we both consider as a hero for the way God used him to turn around our marriage, and we're so thankful that we did not quit because so many marriages quit too soon and they miss out on so much. We, we think at times what we would have missed out on. I tell you my story to start off with because I just want to point out that marriage is tough. Marriage is hard and you don't drift into a good marriage. If you drift in your marriage, you're going to drift apart every time. It's just entropy. It's just human nature. But it is so vital that we be intentional and not just go for a good marriage, but go for a great marriage with all, that, with all that God wants that to be. And it is worth every bit of the work, sacrifice, and effort uh, to, to go into a marriage like that. You know, the stakes are so high. Uh, you know, it's interesting with our children that we put so much emphasis around these circles, how they're doing in school, how they're doing with with sports and activities and music, and, and that's fine, that's a great deal, but their marriage is going to affect their happiness about a hundred times, no, a thousand times more than their career and financial success. It's just so huge. And besides that, the stakes are so high for our children. I mean, the difference growing up with a healthy, strong marriage than uh, a broken one or even uh, a divorced one, it just matters so much. It's just it affects life in every way. It is worth our attention, our priority attention. If you're here and you're single, there are no second-class citizens here. I care just as much about singles as I do about marrieds. Uh, you may get married in the future. You've got friends, loved ones, maybe kids who are, who are married you could speak into. But this passage applies to everybody in all relationships. But especially this morning, I'm applying it to marriage. He begins the passage by saying, put on those who are chosen of God, those who are holy and beloved. Okay, you're chosen of God, you're, you're holy. That is, if you're in Christ, you're completely blameless. You're, you're, God sees you through the righteousness of Christ. You're beloved, you're, you're so loved by God. And that is the foundation that we have to love a spouse who is imperfect. That is, that we're so loved by God, we too can love people who are not perfect, who are still on the journey. So with the wellspring of God's love for you, God calls us to love. He, he gives us eight traits here, uh, very specific traits, and, and it's not sort of uh, eight suggestions. These are commandments. Put these things on. Clothe yourselves in this wardrobe of Christ. Do it. No options. Okay, the first one, compassionate hearts. Now, we know what compassion is. Compassion is tenderness. It's, it's caring about somebody. It's, it's um, wanting to meet their needs and their, their best interests. Now, this is what happens. 
Every married couple has compassion at the start, but as they struggle over time, if they don't work through their conflict well, as anger builds up, as resentments build up, then walls go up between them, and pretty soon they are lonely in marriage, and there's very little real compassion. And it's just so empty, painfully lonely. And so God says, compassion. Marriage is a need meeting relationship. You want to compassionately love and serve your spouse. In our early years of marriage, first dozen or so years, Gail talked often about how she would like a little bit more, compa- more uh, affection from me. And she meant non-sexual touching, you know, just hand around the shoulders and various things, non-sexual touching. A- a- and I felt that she was being too needed. Now, I know you white women don't like that. Uh, don't blame you. But, you know, I told you I was hard to live with. And uh, I just felt she was being too needy. And then we read this book, His Needs, Her Needs, and it said, you know, for, for most wives, their top need from their husband is, is affection. And so I thought, well, maybe that's not because Gail is too needy. And, and, but I needed help. And so I said, Gail, coach me. What's this look like? So she said, okay, put your hand here, that kind of thing. <laughs> but, you know, after a few months, I got where it was natural. And now I'm really good at it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> my hands are all over. Um, so if sometime I put my hands inappropriately on her around you, just give me grace. And uh, because <laughs> at home, that's the way it is. So wives need their husbands, uh, not just affection. They need their husbands to listen. Okay, guys, I, I know that, that just sailed right over you. <laughs> I mean, really listen. You know, it's a tough in football season, but you know, you, 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 eye contact, looking them in the eyes. Okay, you know this, but you, you've forgotten it since yesterday, that uh, don't give solutions. Don't fix her problem. If she wants your advice, she will ask you for it, and that probably is not going to happen very much. <laughs> listen and care. She doesn't want your advice. She wants you to care. Uh, wives need that from their husbands. H- wives need their husbands to open up their hearts and share what's really going on, even the frustrations and the struggles, the fears and the challenges at work and other places. Guys, that's not natural for us. It's not natural for me. You know what I'd rather do? Just go into my cave and uh, think this thing through, pray this thing through myself, and then I can come back. Um, guys, that's the way we tend to be. But she will not feel loved by you unless you open up your heart. What's really going on inside? She won't. She won't feel loved. Listen, uh, John Wayne may have been, you know, a good Western figure, but he did not know how to love a woman. And that is not your ideal. But someone, a man, who is man enough to open up his heart and talk about some challenges and some struggles. Wives feel loved. On the other hand, husbands need their wives to be interested in sex. Husbands need their wives to express appreciation, admiration, and respect. We do. We're just, maybe we got a fragile ego or what, but we need our wives to believe in us. And it does not feel like admiration, respect, like we're the knight in shining honor if you've got your hand on your hip and your finger wagging and scolding. You know, sometimes because of your mother instinct, that you can kind of default with that with your husbands, that does not feel like respect. Um, you know, I, Believe me, women, husbands really need their wives to believe in them. 
It's Gail's best trait, and it means the world to me. Um, compassion. You care. You're full of compassion. Secondly, kindness. Now, kindness, uh, that includes a lot of things. It includes touch. It includes voice. It includes face. It includes uh, small caring acts. It includes a lot of things. But let me accent particularly your voice, uh, men and women, not a harsh tone, which we can easily slip into without being aware of it, but there's kindness in your voice. Kindness. That's part of what it means to love in marriage. And nowhere more important than in conflict. Now, conflict is crucial. That was part of our struggle, actually. Conflict is so crucial, it might mean more than everything else in marriage. Working through conflict. And there's two things to avoid. On the one hand, uh, some of us, maybe our natural tendency is to rant and rave and to kind of spew venom. You know who you are. Others of you, your tendency is the opposite, to withdraw in the silent treatment, and you'll really show them by not talking to them. Both of those are, are not loving. Uh, God calls us to speak the truth in love, to be gentle, to use kindness in our voice. One woman uh, studied happily married couples, studied a ton of them, and, and she found this common trait. She says that during, they would vociferously disagree because uh, if you're being honest and real, you're going to have conflict. But this is what they decided. At some point they decided we would not draw blood during these arguments. Uh, we would not say things that really damage the relationship. Things like threatening divorce or calling names or saying things that really damage the relationship. Kindness. Kindness in your voice is part of love. Now, remember, these things apply to all relationships, including our kids, but they especially apply to marriage. So kindness. Uh, thirdly, humility. Uh, humility is crucial, not in the sense of uh, don't brag or boast. It's not that kind of humility. It's the humility that's not self-centered, but it's other-centered. Now, even so far in this marriage, or in this message, those of you who are married... Have you been thinking mostly about what you could do better or what your spouse could do better for you? That little test there of are you self-centered or other-centered? You know, the point this morning is not, you know, what, what your spouse could do better for you, but what you could do to raise the bar. Um, humility, you're focused on the other one. In a good marriage, when you're asked the question, who gives the most in this marriage, they both think the other do, other does. You know, that means at times you compromise, you, you give in some. You're, you're probably fairly different from each other. That, that's common, not always, but it's common. There is something to that, you know, opposites attract. And, and then, as it said, after marriage, opposites attack. You know, you're, 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 you're so difficult. Those things that were kind of mysterious now are annoying. Um, it's said that sometimes at parties, you know, one person likes to be the first to leave, and the other one likes to be the last one to leave, and, and so often they're married to each other. And, and we've got to compromise and both give. It's humility. Uh, you're not insisting on your way. That's just the way I am. But, but church, do you, know, do you know where this really applies to marriage? Um, proud people can't say, I'm sorry. They can't. It's just like they get choked up on it. You know, they, they certainly aren't going to be the first one to say sorry. But, but this is humility. 
if you can be the first one to go to your spouse when you're mad as a hornet and say, I'm so sorry, because you're both are at fault almost for sure. And uh, proud people can't forgive. They're just lousy forgivers. You know why? Because they got self-righteousness. And they think they're just so all fired up perfect that they can't stoop to forgive. They don't consciously think that, but that's true. Self-righteous people are not good forgivers, and that is lethal in a marriage. Humility. Humility that can say, I'm sorry, but humility who can grant grace forgiveness. Okay, gentleness. Now, the, the ESV uses the word meekness, but the English word gentleness is better. It's the same point. Stu Weber spoke at our men's retreat a few years ago, written books for men. He said, meek men are not weak men. They refuse to shove, push, and throw their weight around. They do not win their wars with brutal f battles and fierce fights. They win their way into a hundred hearts and homes with the passport of a lowly, loving spirit. Their unique genius is their gentleness. This quality of life does not come from the position of feeble impotence, but rather from a tremendous inner strength and serenity. Only the strong, stable spirit can afford to be gentle. And guys, this is what God has called us to be. And women, this is what God has called you to be. Gentle, gentle. Not harsh, demanding, severe, gentle, gentle. Fifth, patient, patient. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that the word patient is one of those two or three Christian attributes that we think it's okay to not be patient. You know, that's kind of, you know, if you're sharing your weakness in a circle, that's one that's kind of socially acceptable. Oh, yeah, I'm not very patient. As if it's, you know, it's, it's not an important thing. Now, in other areas, we would never say that. We wouldn't say, you know, I'm just not loving. I'm a self-centered guy. Uh, we, we would never say, you know, I'm just greedy. Uh, we, we don't talk like that. But for some reason, we think impatient is socially accepted. Do you know that impatient? That, that being patient is right at the heart of what love involves. That rather than being irritable, easily offended, quick-tempered, harsh with people, that being the opposite of that, patient with people, that's the way God is with us, and that's right at the heart of what love is about. Patient. So if, if you say, you know, if you're kind of proud of, you know, I'm just not very patient, you're just, you know, I, I'm just not very loving. I'm just a selfish guy. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 defines love more than any passage in the Bible. Do you know where it starts? In verse 4, it starts with patient. Love is patient and kind. Goes on to humility after that. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Goes on. Does not insist on its own way. But at the heart of it is a patient spirit that just can't get upset. Patient. Sixth, these are so relevant and practical to marriage. Sixth, bearing with one another. That is, uh, you know, before you're married, it's easy to bear with your fiancé. Or, you know, it's also easy to, uh, you know, well, sometimes uh, with strangers to bear with their foibles and things because you're not around them much. But for some reason... With our spouse, we can be very demanding and, and the opposite of bearing with one another. Proverbs 19.11 says this. It says, it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It's glory to overlook. You know, if there's, you know, if it's a big thing and you've been wronged, don't overlook that. 
you need to work through that and forgive. But if it's a small thing, which we all have, even you, just overlook it. We can just sort of accumulate these things that bother us when it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense and of a woman. So bear with one. Be big-hearted. Don't be uh, just difficult to live with. All right, the seventh one, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. He elaborates this one. Forgiving each other just as God, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, he emphasizes that. I don't think that's accidental. This is a tough one. This is a challenge, and there is no emotion more lethal in human relationships and, by the way, in your physical health than unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, and anger. It is poison. I mean, it is poison. No wonder in Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That is, deal with it right away and give no opportunity for the devil. Because if you don't deal with your anger, you are giving entree to the devil to come in and mess up your soul and probably your body and certainly your marriage and perhaps your kids. You are giving the devil a foothold in your household. Why would you do that? Now, you wouldn't let a bunch of junk and trash be on your television. Why would you allow the devil to come in and wreak havoc? I'll tell you why. Because of pride. Self-righteousness and pride that you're not a good forgiver. I'm not saying it's easy. You had your heart ripped out? It's hard for me. But by the grace of God, we can forgive or he wouldn't have told us to. By the power of the Spirit of God, we can choose to forgive. I'm not saying that all the hurt will go away. That's not forgiveness. Here's forgiveness, the choice of the will to let that person go. I'm choosing God to give that to you. That's yours. Forgive each other. One of the the good things that helps encourage a spirit of forgiveness is to pray for that person. If you're having a hard time forgiving, which we all do at times. Forgiving each other. You know, not 20 minutes ago, I kneeled right here. You prayed right there, and we, we came to the line in the Lord's Prayer that sometimes I just want to jump up and, and wait a minute, did y'all mean that? Did I mean that? Because we pray, forgive, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then I don't even get to the part down in verses 14 and 15 where Jesus comes back to it. Friends, this is so vital to marriage and human health and life. We've been wronged sometimes. We feel like we've been stabbed with a knife, and we'll show that person we just will hang on to our anger. It kind of feels good. And, and it's like that person's not hurting. We are hurting ourselves more. Already been stabbed once, but, but then it's like we're twisting the knife and moving it all around in there. We're hurting ourselves to the extent that we don't forgive. It is for our sake that God says forgive. Let it go. A good marriage is simply the union of two awfully good forgivers. Overlook the small things. Forgive the big things. And then finally, the love. Put on love. The binds it all together. It's the greatest thing. You know, I get so frustrated with our culture that talks about, you know, you got to be in love. Oh, I don't love her anymore. So like that, that's, it's okay to get divorced. The Bible says the issue is not Are you in love or not? The Bible says, love the person you're married to. Do it. Not an option, a command. 
And you will fall in love if you do that. It's an act of the will. It is a choice. God, by your grace, I will love that woman. I will love that man with everything that's in me. That is not the ways that are convenient and comfortable for you, but what, that, what your spouse needs. What, what, what does he or she need? Every one of us here, certainly including me, could raise the bar in that. Do you remember what 1 Corinthians 13 says? Starts off by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal in the eyes of God. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Okay, get this down. There's a big mountain over there. You are such a man or woman of faith, you can move that mountain. Wow, that's something. God says, if you have that kind of faith, that kind of knowledge, that kind of prophetic gifting, but you don't have love, you don't love people, it's nothing. It's nothing to me. Nothing. The next one says, you know, if I give up everything I, ha- I own, give up my body to be burned. I mean, that is incredible. We think, man, that's just, you know, that's Mother Teresa stuff. Uh, if you do all of that, but you don't do it from a heart of love, it means nothing. There is nothing more important in our lives than that we love people. And that better start with your spouse if you're married. That better start with your spouse. God will hold you to it. I remember John Brigner would always say, for men, that is the thing that God's going to hold us accountable to the most at the judgment seat of God. Did you love, if you were married, did you love that spouse? And of course, there's accountability to men and women, husbands and wives. So here's the, the challenge to do it with all you've got. Put on then as God's holy ones, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, drinking in God's love for us. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgives you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, those of you who are married, those of you who will get married one day, you probably at your wedding said something like this, maybe exactly. Jeff, will you have this woman to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? And you made a solemn vow before God to love, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, or sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. You made a solemn vow before Almighty God in all heaven. And God holds us to it. He expects us to hold us. I, I know there are reasons for divorce, but not like our culture does it. God's heart for you is thriving marriages and the only way is to build it on a Christ-like foundation, surrendered to Christ and then surrendering to love one another like you should. If you have gone through the trauma of divorce for whatever reason, don't live in guilt. God has a guilt plug in the Christian life and it is called the cross of Christ. All your guilt goes down that drain. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about from this point on, if you are married or if you will be married in the future, that you resolve, Lord, I will love that spouse with all I've got. Practical, patient ways. We've got uh, resources to help you with this. We've got uh, 
Uh, well, the Smallies are leading a, a class this coming Tuesday, seven weeks. Uh, do you guys know the Smallies in our church? Uh, Amy has become our part-time women's pastor. Uh, Michael and Amy are counselors. They've got seven books out together. They have a worldwide ministry. People fly in here from around the nation to meet with them, and they're just tremendous. And besides that, Michael is hilarious. And um, so this Tuesday night in 206, uh, we've got trained volunteer lay counselors. John Brigner was a trained volunteer, and God changed our marriage through him. They're, they're, uh, encourage you. We, we refer you to professionals. We've got uh, healing prayer. Uh, our, we've got some staff. Please don't expect me to meet me with your, your marriage. I, you just don't want me, really. You, you want other people. Hey, we're a little too large for that, but, but we've got people, and we can refer you to people that, that could really help sooner than later. Let me close with this story. I love this story of Robertson McGilkin. He was a Christian college president, and he talked about when his wife got Alzheimer's. And uh, he would go to the, across campus to his office, and he says his wife, uh, she just couldn't be content without him around. And, and so she would get up uh, and, and follow him and, per, and pursue him. And, and t- up to 10 times a day, she would make a, a one-mile round trip to his office, and someone would have to, to get her back. And he said sometimes at night when I t- would take off her shoes, her feet would be bloody. Uh, 10 miles. And he's sharing that with, with his doctor, and he said the doctor just kind of got choked up. Such, such love. He said once uh, when she had Alzheimer's, they, they were flying through Atlanta, and they had a two-hour delay in the airport. He said that was tough with Muriel at this time. And just every few minutes, she would just feel some need, some compulsion to get up and walk quickly down to the end of the terminal, just looking for who knows what. And she had always been a speed walker, so when she got up and took off down there, you know, he had to get up too and go with her. And he said, I nearly had to jog to keep up with her. And she would she'd go do that, come back, and he'd be panning, and a few minutes later, they'd get up and go again. He said there was only one woman in their section sitting where they were, and she was an attractive, well-dressed businesswoman looking at it, working on a computer. And one time when they got back, she kind of said something under her breath without looking up, and and no one else was around, so he said, you know, uh, pardon me? And she said, oh, I was just asking myself, will I ever find a man who will love me like that? And husbands, your wife longs for a husband who will love her like that. Sacrificial love, whatever it takes. And he may not tell you, Wives, but your husband wants the same thing and needs the same thing. Resolve, by God's grace, whatever else in my life goes well, career or not, I will love my spouse with all I've got, and it will be worth it. It will. Please stand with me. Lord, please help us in our marriages. We struggle. Lord, we're, we are all too imperfect and flawed. Lord, please strengthen the good marriages, make them even stronger. Lord God, the, the hurting marriages this morning that are broken, that maybe even head for divorce, would you please grant forgiveness, humility, selfless love. Please heal them. 
Friend, if you're in the room, you've never received Christ's forgiveness for yourself, then right now, receive that forgiveness. Say, yes, Jesus, I need a Savior. Yes, Jesus. Lord, thank you for this gift. Amen.